You're getting ready to go out. You want to get in the mood. There's a playlist for that. You move to the beat. You trip over the dog. You're not dancing anymore. You open the Medibank app and find a physio. We live in an on-demand world. And now your health insurance comes on demand too. Download the new Medibank app today. For SEN America, this is the SEN MLB Podcast. G'day everybody and welcome to SEN Baseball. Big week, of course, with the All-Star voting about to finish by the end of the month. Make sure you get your votes in. We're going to get to all the standings and stuff in a moment. But before we get there, joining me behind the mics today, former Florida Marlin, Justin Charles. JC, welcome. Good morning, Fritter. How are you, mate? Fantastic. And also part of the SEN America team joining us for the last time. Has done a terrific job over the last month to six weeks for us. Aaron Rose. Aaron, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to see you, mate. We're uh, I'm going to roll through some of these who's hot and who's not at the minute just with the standings and things. Cleveland have uh, won six in a row at the moment, seven and three in their last 10 games, 41 and 30 overall. That'd be a fun city to be in right now. In Cleveland, absolutely. I feel yes. like we could never say that before. <laughs> you haven't been able to say it for 54 years, but with, uh, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers and our very own Delhi winning uh, NBA championship. Uh, terrific job by them, but this is a baseball show, so we might just stick there for the moment. In the American League, the ones that are not Hot at the moment. Tampa Bay have lost seven. They're three and seven in their last ten. Currently with a thirty-one and thirty-nine record overall. In the National League, the Dodgers have been terrific. They've won six in a row, eight and two in their last ten. They've cracked the forty win mark, currently at forty-one and thirty-three overall. And in the National League, the ones that aren't so hot, of course, the Washington Nationals have lost five in a row now, four and six in their last ten. But they are also over the 40 uh, win mark. They're at 43 and 30 overall. And the Cubs, who have been uh, the hottest team in baseball for this good part of the season now, they've lost four in a row, four and six in their last ten, but still with a terrific win-loss ratio at 47 and 24. Another one that was notable during the week was the San Francisco Giants, really been terrific. They're nine and one in their last ten, 47 and 27 overall. They really have been terrific. They have not missed a beat, and it's interesting. You see the the Cubbies are on a bit of a skid there, and, and St. Louis still haven't made a dent in uh, <laughs> in the standings there, have they? Still nine games behind. Still yeah. nine back, but St. Louis just swept them for the first time in ages at Wrigley. But yeah, they still, even with a series sweep, they haven't uh, come back. Yeah, any ground. I did mention. Excuse me. I did mention off the top with the All Star Game coming up. Voting ends as I mentioned at the the uh, end of the month, thirtieth of June, with the All Star uh, All Star Game coming up shortly in July. But just a couple of. Um, teams as they were. It changes pretty much every day because there's so much voting that does go on into these games, but a starting lineup that was put out during the week that I like, I like these two lineups in the American League, Altuve at second base, the great 
Mike Trout in left field. Manny Machado at shortstop. Josh Donaldson, I'm not sure how he gets in there, at third base. Cabrera at first base. David Ortiz as the DH. Mookie Betts in right field. Salvador Perez, the catcher. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. in centre field, and of course starting pitcher Chris Sale, who has been absolutely phenomenal. So roughly about eight on eight out of eighteen players there, uh, Latin American. Still no room for a Latin American manager. That's a topic that will actually we can we can touch on that a little later. That that has been topical at the moment, so that will make sure you raise that again, JC. That is that is something that just uh, saying, just saying, just saying. Um, in the National League, Marte in left field, Goldschmidt at first base, Arenado at third base, Bryce Harper in right field. Um, Chris Bryant is the DH, Murphy at second base, Buster Posey the catcher, Azuna in centre field, Seager is the shortstop, and of course Clayton Kershaw, who has been absolutely lights out for the last 18 months, especially this season, has been phenomenal in the starting position role. Yep. I'm going to completely disregard your Josh Donaldson comment earlier. Oh, I, just I think I'd, he's leading the American League in just war. Just sort of throw it in there, mate. Why not? But do you... You know, you've uh, you've got your own yeah, ideas so mine, on starting lineups. It's starting to heat up too, by the way. Starting to play really well. Yeah, Donaldson is. Who, Josh Donaldson? Yeah. Yeah. Of course he is. He's the he's the MVP of the league. Of course. And the best player in the league. I will Hands not, down. I will not disagree. Being your last show, whatever you say is right, just because Dad might be listening and, <laughs> and, and you know you need to be cranky. You need to be cranky. Yeah, exactly. Well, the truth is I, Josh Donaldson isn't on my all-star team right now. Now, hang on. What is the contradiction in What's all What's Dad going to say about that? What, what's he going to say? I'll be the cranky one now. You're telling us <laughs> he's the greatest and he's MVP and he should run the world. He should be, you know, Donald Trump's right-hand man. And now you don't even pick him in your all-star team? The... Manny Machado's having a spectacular season, and I know he's your shortstop right now, yeah. but he isn't really a shortstop. So Josh Donaldson's my, and, and I was really struggling with that, Josh Donaldson's beating Machado in war, a yeah. statistic nobody really understands, yeah. but in all typical statistics, Manny Machado's just a better player, yeah. and I think he's more versatile defensively, but my heart says Donaldson, my brain says Machado. Right. It's an all-star game. Would you rather see both Donaldson and Machado playing side-by-side side, or would you rather have, uh, you know, someone like, I don't know. Xander Bogarts is the, should be the starting shortstop. Yep. He's had a spectacular season. The Red Sox look unstoppable. Yeah. And, and, and he's probably also having a better year right now. Led, of course, Donaldson. by David Ortiz, who's going to retire because he's having the best season of his life. That that has been... I mean, he's just smashing doubles and home runs like they're going out of fashion. Leading doubles. uh, You've coined a new phrase for... uh He's Bonzian right now. Bonzian. Bonzian. Yeah. Bonzian. I like it. We're going we're gonna, to um, talk about that in a bit. But you, if <laughs> yeah. he comes, you, it's almost like you have to walk him every time he comes up. Yeah. He's, he's either going to hit it out of the park or he's going to hit one off the green monster for a double. And we have sort of touched on it over the, over the journey, whether it be the fact that he's, there's a bit of a weight off his shoulder and he's going up to bat. Feeling free, and and he knows it certainly has that feel about it. Yeah, and and you know nothing seems to phase him right now, and and right now the numbers don't lie. He's been phenomenal, has David Ortiz. Yeah, he's batting three forty right now, and clutch, yeah. and clutch. clutch, leading doubles. You know, this is a guy that doesn't necessarily run so well, but he's, he's worse le- than you on the on the racetrack. He, 
I might just no, I wouldn't tip him. But um, he's leading doubles, you know, crushing them. Three forty, leading the doubles, having a phenomenal year is David Ortiz. But your lineups that you've got there for the All Star Game, Aaron? Yeah, I think this this might be the time I chose my heart over my over my brain. But yeah. Michael Saunders is having a spectacular year for the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. and he's not a flashy pick by any stretch of the imagination. But he might he won't get in because he's not a a name, but he he might be deserving of an all-star selection. Yeah. Mike Trout and uh, Mookie Betts are my outfield, along with Saunders. Machado, Bogarts, Altuve, and Cabrera, yep. who's always spectacular, Cabrera. Yeah. Salvador Perez behind the plate, and David Ortiz, who, as we said, is having a spectacular, a Bonzian spectacular a Bonzian year. season. And my outfield, Braun, Ozuna, and Cespedes. Harper might deserve to get in there. He'll probably get in there based on name, although yep. he's cooled off quite a bit yep. since earlier in the season. Arenado. Trevor Story, and we talked about Seager a little bit earlier. Seager's yeah. also having a really good year. Trevor Story. Trevor Story's having a spectacular season He was season the as rookie well. who just tore it up in early part. Where's yeah. he sitting with home runs he's, right he's now? He's at 18 home runs right yeah. now. He's still crushing the ball. Might be the thin air up at Coors Field, but he is still having a spectacular season. Yep. Daniel Murphy at second, Paul Goldschmidt, and Ramos behind the plate. Right. And, and I guess my two pitchers, and we talked about this off air, I'd have Clayton Kershaw. Um, he's having a spectacular year. So is Arietta. But Kershaw's basically unhittable. Yeah. And Chris Sale's having a good year. But Marco Estrada, I'm going to keep banging the table for this guy. <laughs> if I told you at the beginning of the year that Marco Estrada would lead the American League in whip, you would have called me crazy. This guy is basically unhittable. You're still crazy. No matter what, you're still crazy. Did you see uh, earlier in the week, uh, Story actually uh, got hit by a pitch and the opposing manager, I can't think who it was, asked to see the the replay yeah. and and they won the won the appeal that he didn't get hit and then he hits a home run. <laughs> really? Yeah. So so they they the manager oh, for the opposition challenged. Yeah. They had that yeah, challenge yeah, yeah. in baseball now. Yeah, he uh it, it was high and tight. The pitch was up and in. Uh did the it umpire even said flick uniform or anything? Well, that's the thing. The umpire said it did. Yeah. But replay showed it didn't. Right. Obviously conclusive. The opposition manager can't think of who it was right now but uh, it's yeah. Burned in my mind, um, and uh, it, it was shown that it didn't hit him. Yeah, and then next pitch he hit home run. Oh, it's, <laughs> so. it's unreal. But I wonder if the umpire must have heard a flick. You know, sometimes they go yeah. by a yep. click. But you know how sometimes that velocity. You know, sometimes the ball is fizzing past. Yeah, you, you yep. know, like that. Just the sound of passing, like it gets close, but it doesn't actually hit. Yeah, and that you you can think that you hear a noise. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Obviously, that was the case. And yeah. Uh, Story was trotting down to take his base, and then the opposition manager came out to challenge it. Um, and then he trotted around the base path. The whole thing. Did, Not- yeah, well, the next, yeah, that's right. That's Is that right. going to start a fight now that he trotted after uh, hitting the home run? Batista-like, we're going to start, <laughs> oh, no. I don't start think there was fights just for the sake of it. Um, it. As I mentioned, All-Star Game coming up. Make sure you get your votes in for the AAA All-Star Game. Ja- vote James Beresford. Ja- vote James Beresford. He's uh, up for a starting position, second base in the AAA All-Star Game. Needs your vote, so make sure you vote for him. An interesting one that we haven't seen put up as yet for the All-Star Game. Of course, uh, as I mentioned, the voting fin- closes uh, 30 of June, so get your votes in is the great Ichiro Suzuki. Approaching 3,000 hits. I think he's 17 away from memory. 17 away from 3,000. 
And just overnight, the Guinness Book of World Records has recognised Ichiro Suzuki as the global hit king for his hits in Japan, as well as uh, his hits in Major League Baseball. As I mentioned, 17 away from the historic mark of 3,000. And the interesting quote that I did see from the great Pete Rose, who he did pass just this week on that total hit mark in in baseball was that Pete Rose called him the hit queen. Which tongue I'm, in cheek. <laughs> very, tongue in cheek. Very Did you much, see the interview? Very much tongue in cheek. And he also chipped in with, are they going to start counting his high school hits now as well? So interesting. Um, tongue in cheek. But I think, look, I, Pete's got a point. We can't, you know, like Pete is still the hit king. Let's let's uh, let's be honest. Let's Having be his number retired this weekend uh, in Cincinnati. But Barry Bonds brought up an interesting, oh well, a, a, a good perspective. He said we shouldn't be getting all all beat up on uh, on Suzuki or or, uh, or or Pete Rose. Really, we should be beating up on Japan for withholding Ichiro for so long. Yeah, um, you know, for a decade, he should have been here a decade or in the major leagues a decade before he actually came over. So, yeah. um, you know, Japan baseball actually infringed on that record more than, more they, than anybody. They have uh, had a... And a, that was Barry Bonds's p- perspective on it. Yeah, you know, right. Uh, trying to deflect pressure off those two. Yeah, they've it's they've had interesting rules over there for a long time. Look, to be honest, my, my personal feel on it is that I appreciate the way that Japan baseball handles it. Once they realise they have a good player, they hang on to them. And the rule was eight years. It's now been reduced to seven years. It's still a long time in a in a player's career, seven years at the highest level. Uh, but players over in Japan have to uh, play seven years at that level before they're available to come across to MLB. And point in case is, at the moment, the hottest thing on the planet is Shohei Otani, the ace for the Japanese baseball team. Can do it all. Can do it all. Just recently broke the speed record for pitch in uh, in the States through over 102 mile an hour. Not in the States, in Japan. Sorry, in Japan, my bad. Um, for the ham fighters. He's a Nippon ham fighter, pitches for them. He was also, and just hear what I'm saying right now, yes, through over 102 mile an hour, he was also coming third in home runs, and he also had a 17-game hit streak going. That's impressive. Tw- that, that's Ruthian. <laughs> we, we got another word. Hang on, let's let me jot these ones down. This is uh, I'm gonna go straight. Your dad's to, gonna be proud of all those makeup words that you <laughs> straight to the in. straight in the patent office after this. And get these words, but think about it for a minute. This is a 21 year old. You know he he he's phenomenal. If MLB were able to get their mitts on him right now, they would. There is no course, doubt in my mind they course, would. But to to defend the Japanese side of the game, I think it's absolutely terrific by them to protect their own brand first and then allow these players to, yes, go on and have careers on the world stage, but first and foremost, they look after themselves. As I say, Otani is the ace, up in home runs, 17-game hit streak and throws 100 mile an hour. This guy's phenomenal. Here's a question for you, though, Craig. Yes, he's serious when he says he, he He throws 103 miles an hour. Yeah. The Japanese ball is different. It's smaller. Does that translate to 103 miles an hour with the big ball or is it like a is it like a a watermelon in his hand uh, does it impact on his velocity um it, it, look uh, we need 
Professor Carl Krasinski to actually answer <laughs> these ones. I, I'm not sure on the well, it's impacted the- on it's impacted on other pitches that have gone over. They've, there's been an adjustment period. Some haven't even adjusted. So clearly, it does, it is a factor. Yeah, we're gonna. Um, why I raise this? We're on the sort of Asia slash America side of things because there has been. You raised a topic just prior to the show, JC, about um, the Red Sox. It was the Red Sox. That's right. Red We're, Sox versus White Sox. Now, look, we'll be straight right from the start. The Red Sox ended up winning this game, but that, that's sort in of irrelevant. Innings, yeah. yeah, it's irrelevant. They had an opportunity to win it in regular time. Yes, they still end up winning the game, but the point was. Um, David Ortiz, one of the big sluggers, of course, in baseball. We're talking about how how great he's going at the at the moment. Leads off with a double. He's on second base. They bring in a pinch runner. Bring in a pinch runner. Second Score base is tied. In Score's the ninth tied. is in the Bottom ninth. Of the ninth. Yep. Game's Bottom tied. Bottom of the ninth, seven seven. Game's tied. So and, and Ortiz is on second. Sorry, they bring in a pinch runner, and the MLB game of baseball tends to be let's play for that home run. Whereas, and we're talking here with Ichiro. Drive the run in. A, a, a double will get him in. We've got three chances to drive him in with a with a double. Yeah, and and Boston have been renowned for playing for that three-run home run. They really reckon that either kicks And they only away. need one, though. They only need one. That's that's sort of the key to it all. Whereas we're talking some Asian baseballs. The Asian game, if, if they didn't... If they had exactly the same thing, Otani's on second base. They we saw it would, last night. We saw it last night. Lotte Giants versus the Hanwha Eagles saw it almost exactly the same scenario. Scores tied, uh, except the away team with the uh, with the winning run on third base. Two outs, yep. they squeezed the run across. Yep, and that was game over from yep. there. Three outs, and then and then they end up winning the game. And then 24 hours earlier, we saw the Boston Red Sox similar scenario. Um, they had their uh, their Ace um, closer, uh, Kimbrell in, in the bottom of the ninth in a tied game. Kimbrell had to actually come back out and, and get, uh, it was a six-out win in yep. the end. Yep. Um, but my point was that instead of bunting Ortiz's pinch runner over to third base and then have you know two cracks at getting him in from third base and making it a sure win, finishing yep. it in regular time, yep. uh, what happened was Bradley Jr. struck out. Travis Shaw popped out, and then Hanley Ramirez lined out to... No, so I have the oh, inning in been, front of me. might have been the other way around, but uh, Hanley, Ramirez, uh, Hanley Ramirez drove the ball to right field. It would have scored him, and then Shaw pops out. The, so, p- the point we're sort of trying to go at here is, is the MLB tends to be more of a power game. They really aim for the home run, aim for home run, whereas the Asian sort of game, it's long ball v small ball. This debate will go on forever, but I just tend to think if this if this uh, same sort of situation happened in Asia, it, it would be hundred percent they would bunt him over, hundred percent. Well, I'll tell you this, Frida. Back to uh, semi-formal, Frida. <laughs> I'll guarantee you, in October, they are bunting him over, a hundred percent. A hundred percent of the time, we've got some differing in opinion here, Aaron. You, yeah. You, so, you think- so I'm just going to tell you, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong, okay? So uh, Travis Shaw is, Daddy taught you that way? Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, as an American League guy and as an American League East guy, the American, as an American. As a Canadian. We're far nicer than our American brothers. Um, Tra- Travis Shaw is, comes up next after David Ortiz. He walks. So now you have a guy on first and a guy on second. Your question is, 
Should he bunt? Obviously, he's not going to bunt if he's if he can walk. Jackie Bradley comes up, and you want Jackie Bradley to lay down a bunt. Now, Jackie Bradley is a center fielder who's batting 302 with almost a 400 OBP. If he hits a single, the game's over. If you move over the bunt, if you move over the base runner or teaser, who's not, who's not, not, that's not game over with one or none out. They're not taking off. Like you've got to wait till that ball's through. A, if the a ball, pinch if, runner should score from second. A pinch runner is not guaranteed to score on a single with one or none out. Two outs, he's running on the pitch, uh, running on the swing, no problem. But with one or none out, that runner is not running and he's not guaranteed to score on a single, mate. And I'm here to tell you, and there is no right or wrong, by the way, it's just opinion. The vast majority of pinch runners should be able to score from second on a single. Should, you don't play shoulds. I mean, you're not going to waste the running run on on a a single that, that... you, you don't take off just on a single. Like they're not, they're not playing for that. So here's the other they're thing I'm going to tell you. That. I'm not sure the last time Jackie Bradley has laid down a bunt. So we think that you should always be able to lay down a bunt. Look how easy it is. You just hang, leave your bat out there. The ball hits the bat, and you lay down a you lay down a bunt, and the guy moves over. It's not a sure thing, especially when the pitcher knows it's going to happen. So if you line up to lay down a bunt, the pitcher's not going to throw fastballs down the center. He's going to try and get you. So there, there's somebody who's making it... Except- You're trying to educate me on baseball. I know exactly what he's trying to there's do. There's someone who's and making it a, very difficult a- for you to lay down a bunt. So the first thing is, Jackie Bradley, it's not a sure thing that he's going to be able to lay down a bunt. Maybe he pops it out and nobody moves over and there's another out. Maybe he fouls out on trying to lay down a bunt and that doesn't work. And the second thing is, let's say Jackie Bradley lays down a bunt. And moves the runner over. Now you have Hanley Ramirez come up. And you're he asking... drove the ball to right field right. and it would have been game but, over. But we don't know that's going to happen at the time. So what I'm saying but to you is... that's what you try and do. That's well, what no, he's trying what to I, do. What I'm saying so, to you is that statistics show that between 50 and 60% of the time, with a runner at third and less than two outs... And that's that where he, you're wrong. The runner scores. That's where you're wrong. Statistics say that you're, you're betting, you're betting a, a 3 out of 10 chance that he's going to drive the run in versus... Uh, eight out of ten chance of laying down a bunt. You're a better chance of laying down no, a bunt no. than you are a hit. Don't say no, no, no. I'm telling you, that's why it is. That's why they play it that way. That's why in playoff baseball in October, that's the reason why they do it. So, so we see it right now. The Chicago Cubs even play small ball like that. They've squeezed across maybe a dozen runs this year, and that's the reason why they do it is because it's a lot easier to hit a moving ball with a still bat than it is trying to hit a moving ball with a swinging bat. And unless you played the game, you'd know. So, so here's right. what I'm trying to tell you. Real quick, but what's that, Dad say about it? If if That's I tell you, I know. if I tell you it's, I'll give you, and I'm not even sure this is the number. But if Jackie Bradley can lay down a perfect bunt to move the runners up, it doesn't have to be a perfect bunt. If he can lay down a successful bunt, correct, eight out of ten times, maybe he can, maybe he can't. I think that might be generous, but I'll give that to you. It's still only a fifty-fifty chance, maybe sixty-forty, that Hanley Ramirez can drive in that run. Now I know he did it, but we we can't look with that in hindsight. <laughs> now. That's what they're paid to do. Stats show that it's really not as easy. We think it's, you should be able to drive in a run from a man from third with less than two outs 100% of the time. I wish that was true. I'm shocked that it's only about 
I'll guarantee yeah, only, it. It is only we, we, professional have, baseballers love those RBI opportunities with one or none out with the runner at third. Absolutely, a lot of them are paid to actually just drive runs in. Lower average doesn't really matter, but it's a good good topic, and we will get to it again. But Clubby's done a terrific job. We've gone and got Dan Hayes from Comcast Sports on the line. Dan, welcome to Australian Baseball, mate. How are you? I'm well, thanks for having me on. Terrific, mate. Now uh, we we've been following the. Uh, Baseball season, as you know, over here in Australia, the White Sox currently 36 and 37 as a win loss. Chris Sale's been an interesting one for me, first pitcher to get to 12 wins. Must be a real pleasure to, when you know he's going to toe the rubber, must be fantastic watching him pitch. Well, especially because you know how how well the game is played on on uh, his team's side. I mean, it's it's as if the guys gear up for him because they know. Their chances of winning are, are so good if they play a, a clean, crisp game behind him. And so you see some of the best baseball when he's out there. I mean, you see a lot of fast games, which obviously baseball can linger a little bit, and he pitches quickly and, and throws a lot of strikes. And, I mean, he's so talented. It's something that the last four years, the way he's come along, you know, I, I started covering him in his first season as a starter. And, I mean, he's, he's basically bloomed into probably the best pitcher in the American League and one of the best in baseball. And, you know, every fifth day, that's the other part is he goes out there every time and hasn't had too many trips to the disabled list. And he's definitely become one of the best in baseball. I guess in contrast to him, tell us a little bit about the arsonist James Shields. <laughs> yeah, he's had a pretty rough start. Yesterday was actually not a bad one in Boston. Um, he finally got a little bit of a rhythm going and, and hitters were making weak contact, popping the ball up. He was throwing strikes. But the first three starts with the White Sox and his, his last one with the San Diego Padres before that trade, he you know he experienced one of the worst stretches in, in Major League Baseball history. I think there were about um, – I think he's one of 16 pitchers in baseball history to have allowed seven or more earned runs in four straight starts. And there were, there were a little bit of questions because the White Sox went out of their way and, you know, they're committed to him now. They, they picked up the rest of his contract and they owe him $22 million after this season. And, and obviously the trade wasn't looking very good until yesterday. And obviously that was a good sign for them to get five innings out of him. Um, they need a lot more than that, though. And, but at the same time, he's got a good track record and his confidence has remained pretty high throughout it despite his, uh, his struggles. And, I think they're hoping that he can continue to go the way he did. Certainly think he can do that, uh, Dan. I, I think he's a big game. Is uh, is certainly got some big games left in him. But uh, we just saw a, a great series versus the Red Sox in a playoff type atmosphere, wouldn't you think? Um, it, yeah. it was uh, very tight, and there was only one game off a sweep. So uh, they're certainly uh, gaining some momentum again. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know the thing that. That came right on the heels of a series against Cleveland where they lost two games um, in the ninth inning or the tenth inning. Cleveland hit a walk-off home run on, on Friday night and then had a walk-off base hit on Sunday. And very defeating type of series in Cleveland. And for them to turn it around and come back and, uh, and win the way they did against Boston, who is the best offense in the American League and, and arguably in all baseball, to kind of go out there and have their pitching shut them down the first couple days and then outscore them the third game and, and even have a good shot at yesterday until some injuries and, and some uh, tired arms in the bullpen caught up with them. Um, you know, it, it was a very good series for them to have at this point in the season. Obviously, they're in this, this uh, 
they were in a spell. They, you know, they started the year 23 and 10, and, and it's been obviously 13 and, and 27 since then. But there's still some hope around here that they can hang on and, and add some pieces for the trade deadline and, and keep the run going. And, and I think that that series kind of rejuvenated them a little bit. They really needed it. Right now, I guess you kind of mentioned it right there. Um, do you think this team is trending towards being buyers or sellers at the deadline? Well, if I'm gonna, I, I think they probably will continue. I mean, if they're 500, I think they will add. They they really like the pitching they have up top with Chris Sale, with Jose Quintana. Carlos Rodon has shown some signs after struggling early in the year. I think they feel like if they can hang around, that they're the kind of team with the pitching that makes noise. But at the same time, they need more consistent offense. Um, Justin Morneau, who they they signed, is is about to start a rehab he's probably still a week away from that they don't expect him back for a few weeks they kind of have to tread water and I think they feel like if they can do that for a little bit they'll keep adding because with the young guys they have with Sale and with Jose Abreu and Quintana Adam Eaton they really feel like they have the the core group here but they need more pieces and that's one thing we knew going in was that they were thin on depth they had some really good stars and and thin on depth and if they could supplement that depth and add some pieces from outside, that they could uh, maybe make some noise. And I think if they hang, that they will stick and, and add a few more guys. They don't have a lot of assets to kind of acquire it, so it's going to be a tricky proposition for sure. And it's going to be a very interesting six weeks because if, if it falls apart, they could very easily sell and, and get some good pieces for the future back. Dan, I'm interested as, number one, as a, a writer over there and, and number two, as a fan of the White Sox, I'm interested in a guy like Todd Frazier who at the moment is is like a home run or a strikeout. His average is down, but his home runs are up. Do you do you see frustration when, you know, you'd like to see him maybe move a guy over where he's actually swinging for the fences for a home run? Where do you sit on sort of the averages compared to home runs debate? Yeah, it's it can be. You know, I think things get really magnified when the team has played the way they have because he was doing a lot of that early on, and and people loved it. The fans loved it. Um, the problem is, is just it's been such an inconsistent offense that yeah, as time goes along, you want to see him do some more things, especially moving guys over. Um, the the weirdest stat for him, I think he's got five doubles right now, and he had forty three last year, and that's just a strange dip because the home run power has obviously been right on par with the last couple seasons. Um, it, it's been a year that he's had a tough time explaining, but I think the fact is the White Sox, when they, they brought him over, they wanted home runs and they wanted defense. They wanted somebody to kind of protect Jose Abreu in the lineup, and that's one thing he's done a good job of is there is that threat of a home run behind Abreu. Abreu hasn't been very uh, – he hasn't been as consistent as his years past. You can see his numbers are down a lot, but he's he's shown some signs lately, and they're really hopeful that the two of them can kind of get hot together. And Frazier had a, a pretty decent series in Boston, hit a couple home runs after a really rough spell himself. So uh, it, it's been a very, from an offensive standpoint, they, they like what they see, but they need a lot more of it, and they're hoping that they can add some other pieces. Uh, they've, they've really struggled without Adam LaRoche, who – retired there in, in March abruptly after the uh, dispute with the front office over his son. And that yeah. not having a left-handed hitter in the middle of the lineup has hurt them a lot just in the way that their lineup has been balanced. And so I think they're, they're kind of looking at all these things and weighing it because obviously these next five, six weeks are critical with the trade deadline. There was an interesting article from Tom Verducci that just came out about how home runs are at an all-time high 
right now, since the steroid era at least. Uh, Todd Frazier looks like a prototypical player in that situation where he's hitting for home runs and not hitting for average. Do you think it's a mindset thing, or do you think there's something else going on in baseball? You know, I, it's a, a good question. and I mean, it's it's funny because the White Sox are, I think, last in the American League in home runs, and Frazier is one of the few guys hitting them. Um, and, and it's possible. It's a mindset thing, but it's also possible. I mean, we, we've seen it. You know, we I think we thought we were getting away from the uh, the era of, of doping, and, and yet at the same time we've seen, you know, five or six players get caught this season, guys who you don't suspect. So it could be a bunch of things. I think pitching's watered down. Um, it, it, it's, it's been interesting, but it's funny, like you say, it, it's one of the higher eras, and, and yet the White Sox are, are struggling to do it. So it's kind of hard to get a read on it from here because we're not seeing it here. Uh, you look at the Baltimore Orioles and – feels like everybody in that lineup can hit a home run and that that might be just style thing guys that they're going after but uh it, it has not panned out here as well as i think they'd like because last year the white Sox hit their fewest home runs since 1992 and while they've improved it a little bit it certainly hasn't gone up as much as they'd like dan uh you mentioned the uh adam laroche dust up at the start of the year in uh, spring training and uh or coming out of spring training and it seemed uh out of the blocks uh, the White Sox started winning uh, with not too different personnel from previous years. Do you think that incident brought the team together a little bit because there was a bit of uh, a bit of uh, uh, conflict between the front office and the players there for a while? Yeah, it definitely, I think, had the reverse effect. I think a lot of people expected it to kind of blow up in their faces. And for a little bit, from the media perspective, um, from the outside, it certainly did. I mean, that was as ugly as it gets from the outside. A lot of fans were embarrassed. But what's funny is, you know, inside the clubhouse talking to guys, you really got the sense that they weren't as worried about it as people outside were. They they knew they had a strong group that liked each other. They brought in a bunch of veteran players. They had a, added uh, Alex Avila, who had won every year in Detroit up until last year. They added Jimmy Rollins, who, you know, wins a World Series with the Phillies and was an MVP and added a couple other guys like that. And I think that the group knew how to handle it. Also, the, the managerial staff did a really good job kind of keeping them focused. And, and you know, a few days later, it, it was very tense for a few days, but afterwards it, it's been smooth sailing since. And that really hasn't kind of popped up. I You know, it was such a strange scenario. Um, I, I think some of the players wondered why he quit so abruptly and, and felt a little abandoned by him too. So I think that, you know, that probably made it easier to handle than, say, a situation where the guy just flat out quit and the players were all behind him. I I really think that some of the guys wanted him to be here and and knew that he was making his choice and respected it. But at the same time, they would have liked him to stick around just because it wasn't a total banishment like it was being portrayed. So it, it is a hairy situation, and they've handled it pretty well. Obviously, the things have not gone as well here the last 40 games or so, but at the same time, that's more just a lack of players producing and executing. Dan, we're right up against it, but I am going to ask you almost a two-part question. Since May 10th, the White Sox have been the worst team in the American League. What do you think has caused that? What do you think that that 13-11 game against Texas, how do you think it was a turning point in the season? And the second part of the question is, what is the status of Robin Ventura's place with the team? Well, I definitely think that the lack of 
bullpen, the lack of offense. I mean, you look at what they were doing up until that point. They had some big offensive games, but they were really inconsistent. You know, one thing, one stat that has defined them is the uh, amount of games where it was three runs or fewer, and at one point it was about 50%. And I haven't checked in a little bit because they've scored a few runs lately. But, you know, they've been up and down. They'll they'll score eight, seven, and six three days in a row, and then they'll go zero, zero, one. And and Jose Quintana, um, his starts are a perfect example of that. You know, the guy is a 268 ERA or somewhere around that, and he's he's five and eight. And, you know, that's that's just really not a uh, – you, you should be an all-star and be a 10-game winner at this point if you had an offense that was functioning behind you. When you look at that, the offense has kept them in a lot of tight games, and the bullpen innings just added up. And what was the best bullpen in baseball in April has been anything but. I think they've about a five-year race since then. And, you know, games that they were winning, close one-run and two-run games um, have not gone their way for – for going on 40 games now and Boston was a good series but I think if anything we know that they would need probably another reliever or two just because their depth is really getting down there they've they've lost two pitchers already for the season they have a potential third and Zach Putnam who just went out um as for Robin Ventura I don't think that if if they were going to make their move I think they would have done it by now I mean it's possible that if the team rolled off and and was 10 games below 500 they might make a move at that point but I don't think they're going to do it. You know, it just it seems like everything we've heard that the staff has got the team in place that they want them in, that they are fighting, that they don't give in. And that Boston series was another sign that they, you know, Rick Hahn, the general manager, just talked about it. There's a lot of resiliency, and it's due to the staff. The players are prepared every day. They're they're taking the info given to them and, and coming out and fighting, and, and that's what they want to see from their staff. And I think that that's pretty much as strong a vote of confidence as they'll get. Again, anything could happen. If they lost 10 in a row, he could be gone. But at this point, I, I think he's going to be here through the season. Uh, Dan, we're going to have to wrap it up there, mate. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks for a little insight there into Chicago White Sox. Thanks to Comcast Sports. Done a terrific job. And I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks very much. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Baseball is the largest spectator sport in the world. In 2015 alone, over 73 million people attended professional games in the United States, with 65 million people playing in over 100 countries around the world. Baseball is the world's second largest participation sport. Baseball is truly a game that everyone can enjoy. It's free to try and cheap to play, but most importantly, it's fun for all. From t-ball and little league to seniors and masters, for the young and the young at heart, Baseball is the perfect game for boys and girls and moms and dads too. With over 105 local clubs in Victoria, get started by going to www.baseballvictoria.com.au to see how you can get involved today. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. Joining us now on the phone, the CEO of Western Australian Baseball, Lachlan Dale. Lachlan, are you there, mate? How are you, mate? How's things? Yeah, going great. Now, there's a great... uh, Great sort of posting and articles have gone out over the last week or two. We did try to get you last week. That was my fault on the mess up last week. But we've got you now. And a, a great thing by um, Malcolm Turnbull was at um, at uh, Baseball Park there in WA. And, and the um, promise of a $6 million grant for Baseball WA over there. What, how long has the sort of process been putting that in motion and to get to the point where it is now, I'm sure you would have been heavily involved in it, but how long's that process been? 
Yeah, it's probably taken uh, about three years now. It's uh, it's a, a long road to changing a bit of our focus from thinking about how we get the the game to the next level, and and rather than just doing the typical camps and clinics and, and development programs, we understand they're important, but. Uh, it starts to become the political piece. So um, we engaged uh, our local member, or federal member, Ken Wyatt, um, who's been absolutely outstanding for us, and um, he's been knocking on the doors at uh, in Canberra on a uh, on a regular basis. Um, fortunately for us, he saw the vision of of what we're trying to achieve and growing the game. He's seen the growth already, and. Um, and I think he's pretty excited about what we can deliver at our ABL games and our state teams and, and the like. So he's right behind us and um, he's been a massive ally for us um, and it becomes a hosting and uh, and talking and showing everybody what we do and, and how we do it and, and they sort of catch the baseball bug, which is good. Lachlan, Justin Charles here. How are you going? Good, thanks, mate. That's the way. You've, uh, you're now several million dollars... Uh in the black, what are you going to spend it on? Is it your shout? Uh, it'd be nice with our major partner of alcohol thing again. So not we can. No, but in um, all seriousness, Lachlan, what what uh, what are we going to be spending uh, the, the the grant money on? Yeah, so we've uh, we've already received uh, one point seven million dollars from the state government, which will upgrade our lights to HD quality lights and international standards. Um, and up, you know, upgrading our ablution blocks. So our amenities will already increase, our lights will increase, and the next phase of that will be um, once we get international, uh, get TV quality lights, we'll need to get our grandstand. So the bulk of the money will be increasing our seating capacity from probably about just over three to three and a half thousand. We'll take it up to six, six and a half thousand. Um, that'll be a permanent grandstand down the right field line. Underneath that, we'll have our concessions and our hospitality um, and our little pop-in slide areas. Um, hopefully, a little mini training facility with some batting cages and, and a gym underneath, uh, but also just up, upgrading the quality of our, our corporate areas as well. Um, and then on the, on the left-hand side of it, we've always wanted to keep that for our families and, and, and friends and kids running around. So we're going to increase the quality of, of the grass bank and make it more of a picnic-y family atmosphere, put in the playground. Um, and, yeah, by the time we start doing all of that, <laughs> it gets it gets eaten up pretty well. So our capacity will increase, the quality of uh, the quality of seating will be will be greater, and we'll have a dedicated um, you know, kids area, family area for them to run around and enjoy the game. Uh, is there going to be outfield uh, seats? Will that include outfield seats? Out, out in that area, out there. No, we won't. We won't do anything beyond the home run fence. Um, that that will still remain because we're we're really close to a train line um, out the back. So we we have limited access and space out there beyond the home run fence. Uh, I guess the beauty of that is the next stage is um, they're actually making that a a passenger line instead of just an, an industrial commercial line. Um, in theory, meaning we uh, we get connected to the city um, and the twenty minute drive becomes a you know ten minute train drive, uh, train ride, so um, that'll also increase the capacity. So there's a lot of going on in the local area, and so we should have um, theory being, and the old grandmaster plan is that if we have increased lights and increased toilets, we can host international events with being on the perfect time zone with Japan, Korea, and Taiwan. Um, so the tourism market of, of a state government are excited by that. Plus, we get the train station across the end, so it makes it easier for people to get there. And now we've got a grandstand and permanent seating with a kids' family area. 
all in the same way so we could successfully host you know six thousand six and a half thousand people in a in a great environment the first five years of the ABL of course um, Perth Heat were you won four of them and wouldn't let anybody else play you did a terrific job out there what would what if you had to put your finger on a couple of sort of points of why there's such a really there seems to be a really good culture in mm. WA baseball something that all the other states, and I'm I'm talking personally here, but something that we aspire to try and get is a really good culture, and everybody seems to support each other and want to play for the for the Perth Heat. If you had to put your finger on and say a couple of issues, what would that be? You know, as I mentioned, four out of the first five, really terrific performance by Perth Heat. Yeah, and it's and it's, it's no different to. I, I, I liken it to um, you know in AFL when you you get that right crop of guys at the right age, but uh, you know that mid twenties sort of range was pretty much the, the the key factor of it. In two thousand eight, we never won a game in the Claxton Shield, and we and we bottomed out and pretty much had back to back losing seasons when we played eighteen um, year olds to twenty two year olds. I think Andy Kyle was our most experienced player at. Uh, I think he was 25 at the time. Uh, everyone else was younger and young professionals. So fast forward or fast track, you know, five, six years down the track, they're all mid-20s to late-30s. Some of us still in professional baseball, and they've all still stuck together as, as mates and a band of brothers, and obviously half of them are brothers. But, yes, um, <laughs> that's the Kennelly boys, of course. Or, or, yeah. Was it four of them, or, or four of them signed pro? Yeah, all uh, four out of the five. The other one played uh, played waffle level uh, football, so it went the footy path. But the yeah. other boys were in baseball. But um, so they've been massive. And, and then you add in the Deeks and the girls, the Luke Hughes, is a, a bit of the older guys, Brennan Wise, Cameron Lamb. So they all they're all part of the losing side back in the uh, back in the mid to late two thousands. Um, and they just play for each other. And it's a, it's a one of our challenges now is to um, is to exit these guys out gracefully as they start to go in with the lives of wives and families and, and full-time jobs, but then fast-tracking and expediting the, the development and the, and the handing over that culture to the, the next crop of early 20-year-olds to, to take that through, um, which is always the challenge in any sport, not any high-performance program, but uh, with the WBC up in uh, in March this year, hopefully we, we buy ourselves another year to, to create that and continue it. I'm still learning my Australia geography. I know Sydney and Western Australia are not close, but how do you think Major League Baseball coming to Sydney changed a baseball throughout Australia, and particularly in Western Australia? Yeah, I think it was pretty good. I mean, we we found a benefit, and to surprising for myself, is I think we had about uh, two to two and a half thousand people go from WA from its baseball community and uh, friends and family head over to Sydney, and surprising to make that cross country journey. Um, to, to Sydney to watch a big league game, but I think it was massive for for the community and people to realise that you know baseball is still around. We still have teams. We've still got the ABL. Uh, we've got highly talented players, and as, a, as an opportunity that we haven't had in or forever to be able to showcase our our current major le- or our, I guess our, our 31 major leaguers at the time um, and put on a show for everybody to say, you know what, Australia is serious about its baseball. We do have a lot of talent. Um, I think that's uh, it's going to resonate in the years to come. We won't see it immediately. We'll see it over the next couple of years, I think. Lachlan, I think um, you guys are really leading the way uh, on, on, on the way forward with the ABL, in my opinion. We spoke a couple of weeks ago about... Um, you know what's the way forward for the ABL? Uh, obviously, had our struggles, um, but 
you know, is it do, do we continue playing in football stadiums or do we play in purpose-built stadiums? And I think, you know, the move to uh, upgrade the facilities in a purpose-built baseball stadium, uh, I remember playing... Uh, in the ABL in in WA at Subiaco at a footy field, whilst it was beautiful, it's still not not that same atmosphere. So, uh, are you hoping to generate um, that kind of real baseball atmosphere there? Yeah, I think that that's the key. Instead of playing at football fields, we have to play in a purpose-built um, you know stadium, and that's always hard with um, with governments these days that need the multi-purpose you know stadiums and, and what have you. And, and I guess part of it is to, to looking outside the box. And, and you know, we, we played our example of that. We play our Little League under-13s age group um, out of hockey stadiums, uh, field hockey stadiums, where they, they sort of go in the corners and they play on AstroTurf. Um, so just looking at other ways that we can we can use our fields to grow the game and, um, and piggyback. But I think definitely for an ABL team, it needs to be in a purpose-built stadium. Needs to for that to happen. That's how you attract your, your international events and international markets. And, and let's be serious: if we can crack into the uh, the Asian market with Korea and, and Taiwan and, and Japan, where it's their number one key um, you know, national pastime, and when it becomes the the commercial reality of of one, they're a government trade partner, and and two. The uh, head of Mitsubishi owns the team. The head of Samsung owns the team, and just for just for giggles, <laughs> so uh, so the revenue starts to come in from an international exposure, and and we're off and running. So hopefully, similar to the the Manchester City, in uh, with a with a soccer in in Melbourne. Um, that's ideally if we can create that. Um, I think we'll have our a uh, big brother that assists us and helps us out. So you mentioned uh, on the same time zone as Japan, Korea, Taiwan, etc. So what is the is the plan? Is the plan to market Perth Heat baseball into Asia? Is it? Yeah, it's it's part of it. I mean, uh, once we get our, our TV lights, we'll we can legitimately invite their, uh, their either their champions in the league or any of their their, their teams from. Um, so we had the um, the Rakuten Golden Eagles. We had a couple of players from them over the last two years, and they've come out to look at the stadium and say, "Look, we'd love to use this as a pre-season or a spring training venue for yeah, them right. in in March." Smart. Um, however, they're looking at the stadium and going, "Well, you know, there's no real seats. There's no real." Facilities, there's no lights, or the lights are to a sub-quality light. Like, so all of a sudden, they they are looking at us as a uh, as an alternative venue for using their big stadiums to come town as a boutique stadium in Perth, do their spring training for three to four weeks, um, stay on site, use it, and then obviously they'll be, they'll be engaged into our, our development and our high performance programs, um, and we can have a hopefully a long-term relationship with a Japanese professional team. Um, and similar, we can uh, the the Asia series that we we once played in um, as the champions of, of the ABL would like to be able to host that, and, and in doing so, um, that sort of their October November period when they've just won their champions and they go on their champions tour, so to speak, would like to be able to host them as well. And of course, that uh, that triggers the the government, that triggers the tourism, that triggers the economic uh, benefit to that area. You guys are miles in front, miles. Yeah, in front. Lachlan. Um, I did mention a, a couple of weeks ago on the show um, a concern for mine, and you know I'm, I'm trying to tread carefully here. Is of course the generally out by now there is a fixture for the ABL, and in a I did say in in a couple of weeks ago, strangely that the you know it, it's sort of the silence is deafening regards to the ABL. A lot of people keep asking me, because we do this particular podcast, is there even going to be a league? 
we're not sure if there's going to be any sort of leak. Are you able to sort of tell us anything regards to whether the ABL is going to happen or not? It really just doesn't seem to be much being talked about at all. Yeah, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of things going behind the scenes of, of what it's going to look like, I guess. Um, but there definitely will be an ABL. I think it's it's too critical, and I guess what I'm, what I'm sort of speaking about now, that's that's all at risk if we if we don't have an ABL, I guess. So I think there's probably going to be an increased um, increased responsibility on the state associations, so Baseball WA or Baseball Victoria, and et cetera, to ensure that they they dedicate the adequate resources to ensure that it's going to be up and running and successful, and and whether it be I think uh, five series, six series, seven series, whatever it may shade into, um, I think that's probably the challenge of what works, what's realistic, and and how do we deliver an outstanding environment and product for for game day experience without uh, burning the amount of resources that we've already got in a in a <laughs> in a volunteer capacity that's already been taken up into the club environment, and off we go. But you know, th- and things like there's about twenty, uh, we've had about twenty two million dollars worth of government funding committed to um, stadium development. So when we're talking about getting off footy fields and getting into baseball stadiums, you know, I think it's 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 too big a it's too big a risk for the sport nationally in each state to not. Continue down the to continue down the ABL path, and that's that's why I'm extremely confident that there's going to be an ABL, whether it's five or six series, whatever that may look like. Um, so we're we're going ahead, full steam ahead. While we don't have the exact fixtures published, I'm not quite sure, <laughs> um, but I guess it's uh, that starts to become at a there's a there's a tipping point of how early you need to have them out before you can you know advise you communicate to your members and your sponsors and all your partners, but. Um, Yep, uh, for, for me, we're having we're having an ABL. It's going to be really exciting. I think there's there's probably just an increased um, buying from the the state associations and its members, rather than having a a pro team sitting up there on a pedestal to go, no, as a professional sports team, they can look after themselves. The fact and the reality of professional sports teams in in Australia, unless you're the AFL, is you pretty much lose money. Um, you know, unless you've got the uh, you know the Wildcats over here, we're still losing money. Yet they've got a guy that's worth a billion dollars that, that bankrolls them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so, so the reality is, it's just such a, such a hyper competitive market in the professional sports leagues around Australia. Um, and you look back to the the old ABL, the uh, the reality of um, the competitive market. There's there's only one AFL team in Perth. There's no soccer team, there's no rugby team, there's no netball, there's no women's basketball, the cricket. There's, we've still got a photo of Tony Adamson and, and Jason Hewitt yeah. standing next to <laughs> standing next to James Crawford and Ricky Grace and two Warriors players that I don't even know about. So yeah. I think, you know, when when baseball is getting put up there with your, your with your cricket team and your footy team, obviously a lot of changes in, in 25 years in the sporting landscape, which makes it just all that more challenging. Uh, Lachlan, look, I really appreciate your time this morning. Just to give us some sort of clarification, as I say, it's been uh, uh, thin pickings over here in Victoria. Not exactly sure where it's all headed, but uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Congratulations on that proposed grant there from the government. Hopefully Turnbull gets in and makes it all happen. Um, So, look, congratulations and thanks very much for coming on this morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Terrific, mate. We're just going to go to a break now. You're listening to SEN Baseball.
baseball is the largest spectator sport in the world. In 2015 alone, over 73 million people attended professional games in the United States, with 65 million people playing in over 100 countries around the world. Baseball is the world's second largest participation sport. Baseball is truly a game that everyone can enjoy. It's free to try and cheap to play, but most importantly, it's fun for all. From T-ball and Little League to seniors and masters, for the young and the young at heart, Baseball is the perfect game for boys and girls and moms and dads too. With over 105 local clubs in Victoria, get started by going to www.baseballvictoria.com.au to see how you can get involved today. And welcome back to SEN Baseball. We're going now to international baseball, formerly played with the San Diego Padres MLB, now over in the KBO Korean Baseball. That's Chris Oxpring. Chris, are you there, mate? Yes, I am. Good morning, fellas. How are you? Morning, mate. Great to uh, finally get you on the line. We've actually been tracking you guys for a couple of weeks. Uh, now, you've you've touched MLB baseball. You've touched Japanese baseball. Now, you're over there. I believe you're in a uh, sort of a pitching coach kind of role, but you have pitched also in the Korean League. Where's this sort of step taken? Are you interested now in the coaching side of things in baseball? Yeah, basically it all came about um, over a long period of time. When I was playing here, I stated my intention that I would, you know, once my playing career was finished, I'd, I'd like to, you know, move on into the coaching role if I, you know, got an opportunity with an organisation somewhere in the world. And um, as it happened last year, I unfortunately didn't get a job during the off-season. So um, Lotte from the KBO came knocking with an offer to come here and coach and, um, yeah, it was an opportunity that I thought I'd give a go and it's been a great, great thing so far. Chris, uh, you've had an illustrious career. I want to take you back to the uh, 2004 Olympics where uh, we nearly beat Japan or, or you nearly beat Japan, um, held them to, uh, to a manageable score and, and versus Matsusaka. Can you take us uh, through some of that for us? <laughs> that's that's gone way back into <laughs> into history, but um, man, it was probably one of the best days I've ever ever been a part of, and um, you know, got to share it with a great group of guys, and um, yeah, it was was one of those days where you know we prepared as best we could. You know, they had scouting reports on each and every hitter and and how they wanted to go about it, and um, I was lucky enough to have a great. A couple of great teammates in Dave Nielsen and um, Jeff Williams, who had who had spent considerable amount of time in Japan, so they knew exactly what to do, and um, we were lucky enough to, you know, go out there and execute everything that we wanted to do, and came away with the victory um, to then go on to the gold medal game the very next night against Cuba. Chris, I got a question for you. We'll fast forward one year to 2005, where you uh, made a few appearances with the Padres. Your uh, yep. manager at the time was Bruce Bochy, who has been yep. phenomenal um, in his career as a manager right now with the San Francisco Giants. He seems to win the World Series every other year. Is there anything <laughs> you learned from pitching under him? Yeah, um, I mean, I'll take you to my... Um, I'll give you a perfect example of my debut. Um, I'm in Milwaukee um, the day after I get called up to the big leagues, and um, our starting pitcher got touched up a little bit in the first couple of innings, so I was out... I was out of the bullpen in the second inning of the game and I was coming in to face the number three hole hitter who was, you know, one of the best hitters in the league at the moment, at that point in time. And, you know, I got warmed up in a, in a hurry and come running out from the bullpen out in the outfield into into the infield to step up on the mound. And Bochy's there with a big smile and 
um, a bit of a bit of a chuckle, and he first thing he says to me, he's like, "Have you breathed since you left the bullpen yet?" <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "I'm not really sure," but he's like, "All right." He goes, "Look, he goes, the mound here is the same distance as it is in the bullpen. It's the same distance it was in the minor leagues." He goes, "Just work with the catcher and give us everything that you got." And um, you know, that was the type of guy that he was. Like he didn't he didn't put huge expectations on you. He just wanted you to give him everything that you had every day that you ran out there, and you know, he made you made you feel relaxed and, and part of the team and you know he was a he was a great guy to to play for that's for sure. Trevor Hoffman was the closer on that team, a very famous yep. and spectacular closer. Was he was he a nice guy to play with? Did he talk to you? Did he not have any time for the rookies? What did you learn from uh, him? He, oh man, same thing, you know, it was all just about, you know, everything at that stage was all about mentality and you know being a part of the being a part of the team and and just fitting in and doing you know, your role to the best of your ability and and not be, you know, anything more than you can be. So, you know, they, like Hoffman would talk to us every day just about how to go about our business and, you know, what was expected and the do's and don'ts. And um, he, was a, he was a great guy both on and off the field. Um, but the only thing was you didn't, <laughs> you didn't talk to him when he was getting warmed up to go out there. He was so focused and, and so locked in. It was amazing to watch. Uh, Chris, when it comes to guys like yourself, we, we have had, uh, hopefully you might listen back to this show because we had a very heated discussion here a little earlier and it was basically the black and white of it was regards to MLB baseball compared to Asian baseball. And I'm just yep. thinking of the games that I've watched over the journey. The Asian mm-hmm. side of baseball is a lot of slap and run type hitters, whereas yep. MLB is a lot of power hitters. I'm just wondering the different sort of approach you might have taken having pitched in both parts of the world. How did you approach it yourself when you're towing the rubber? How do you approach the hitters depending on the sort of game that they played? Um, It's got to do with understanding your strengths and their weaknesses. Um, You know, if your strength is their strength, then, you know, you've got to try and find a way to to get around it. But if your strength is their weakness, then you just pitch to that and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But, I mean, there's a little bit of a combination here between the, the speed and the power, but definitely nowhere near the same kind of power output that MLB has and um, that kind of stuff. So it, it, it is definitely a different approach and it's a different mindset when you go about your business. But um, under underneath it all, it's just understanding yourself as the type of player you are and just as best you can you go out there and do your job and you know sometimes it it works in your favor sometimes it blows up in your face and you just got to prepare for the next time with that philosophy chris was that the how you started developing a knuckleball uh actually that came about because i had a really crappy change (laughs) (laughs) maybe i should have tried a knuckleball because mine's crap too (laughs) so so uh oh sorry chris go yeah, but I was going to say crappy wasn't the first word that came to mind when I was talking about <laughs> having a bad change-up. But, yeah, no, it just came about by fooling around. Um, actually, when I was in Japan, because um, they're all, you know, in Asian baseball, it's all about throwing, like, a split-fingered fastball to strike guys out with because of the, like, the, the downward movement that it has in compared to their four-seam, you know, straight four-seam fastball. So it just came about I, I don't have very big hands so i can't throw i couldn't throw a split finger so i started fooling around with that and um you know i figured out that i could actually throw it half decently and yeah that's where basically that's where that came from so do you think that i mean obviously 
a little bit older now, but uh, knuckleballers, do you think that pitch could have got you back into the bigs? Well, it's still a consideration at the moment, mate. I won't, wow. I won't lie to There's you. A, um, <laughs> exclusive yeah, for you on <laughs> baseball. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's still something that I fool around with. You know, obviously working every day with the guys here, I get to play catch every day and I throw long toss a couple of times a week um, with guys if there's nobody else to, to work with them. And um, so when it comes to my arm, I'm definitely in shape. It's just the unfortunate thing is that number that comes next to my name, that's my age, that kind of puts it puts it out there. But, you know, who, who knows? Stranger things have happened in the world of baseball. Are you, I mean, once you get to a certain level in baseball, you have agents and managers and the like. Are, are you actively yep. uh, for telling them to get out and hunt me around here? Are you trying to get back to MLB? I've, yeah, I am in my mind, but not actively. Let's put it that way. I am considering it. Yeah. I am considering putting something together and throwing it out there, but... Um, you know, the thing I've got to consider is, you know, my age and whether it's actually worth anybody's time to put it together and, um, you know, shop it around and stuff like that. But, I mean, uh, example, the Tampa Bay Rays signed a guy that I played against when I was coming up in minor league baseball, Dan Johnson, who was a first baseman, and they signed him as a knuckleball pitcher. So, I mean, I've been a pitcher my whole career who can throw one, so there's nothing to say that I can't... <laughs> Have awesome. an opportunity like he got. So yeah, awesome, we'll see. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Chris, um, so you had uh, uh, an okay level of, of success in Japan, but then you came over to Korea and, and you were a star. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, with, with LG, the, the New York Yankees of the KBO, <laughs> yep. had, uh, sure. had a very handy ERA there, given it, was, uh, or given it is a, a, a very hitter-centric league. Um, yep. But I do believe that you pitched the first win for the KT Wiz, the expansion that's, KT Wiz. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, you, you're correct in that in that information there. So a few Aussies hold some records over there. Yeah, absolutely. What was it? What was it like being part of of starting a new team, a new organisation, as such? It was um, at first, like it was difficult at first, you know. Um, because yeah, everybody was new, they were new into the league. There was a lot of you know trying to feel out the competition. There was a lot of pressure, you know, because um, we were we were kind of, we're kind of close to Seoul, but we're you know Suwon, the city that they're based in, is kind of outside of Seoul a little bit. But there was a whole bunch of pressure in the media. There was there talking, you know, about when's the first win and who's going to get it and um, everything like that. And you know, the whole team kind of felt a whole bunch of pressure and. You know, unfortunately, we got off to a bit of a bad start. I think we were 0-9 before we got our first win or something like that. So um, the pressure definitely mounted, but, you know, somebody had to eventually get the first win, and I was just lucky enough to be the guy on the mound at the time. So you've had a bunch of firsts because, from memory, I think you threw the first win in the ABL as well, didn't you? <laughs> yep, that's correct. Pitching to Andy Graham, who now manages over West Michigan Whitecaps, I think he is, over that's in the US. The Tigers organisation. Yeah. Um Chris, you, you, you're part of now doing some coaching, actively still trying to get some playing, absolutely. But I'm, I'm thinking about um, the the Futures. It's called the Futures uh, team, the kind yep. of essentially like a reserves team for the main... Minor ca- leagues, mate. Minor, minor le- leagues. Sorry, minor leagues for the KBO. How do you go That's with the, the language difference when it comes um, to actually teaching young kids? Luckily, we're we have a full-time interpreter um, with me. Um, the, only, the only hard thing is just like, you know, baseball language, lingo is a, is a language all unto itself. Correct. So yeah. 
um, you know, it was basically I had to teach him the whole baseball language um, to kind of make sure that we were getting our point across. But, you know, baseball is a, is a universal language when it, when it comes to it. You know, you don't have don't only speak English, you know, basically everything's, a lot of it is body language and actions and stuff like that that can be interpreted and it's actually been really good. The young players here are very, very eager to learn and, you know, they're all trying to study English so they can understand me better and uh, it's been really, really good. I've been impressed with the way that they've gone about handling it. Clearly, uh, clearly, you've enjoyed Korea. Otherwise, uh, uh, you wouldn't be there. It's uh, it's a wonderful country, and uh, um, but obviously, what would be the job prospects if I was to learn Korean, having the baseball uh, background to be an interpreter for uh, one of the professional teams, Chris? <laughs> uh, it's a possibility. I mean, the only thing is you'd have to be fluent in Korean, Correct, and yeah. it's not the easiest language in the world to learn. Um, My wife's Korean, though. But <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. You've got. You've already drilling got me every day. Everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, it, if you had that, you could definitely um, be a part of it because they are looking to, you know, broaden their horizons and expand their their knowledge and stuff like that. They want to break out of the, I guess, the merry-go-round that kind of continues to circ- circle through here. You know, like players become coaches and teach the same things that they learned when they were you know, coming up from being a young player to a veteran and then going into a coaching role is uh, the new information that's going around is not getting uh, much of an influence here at the moment and that's what they're looking for, um, to bring in something new, to bring in something fresh and kind of change the scope that is, you know, Korean baseball. Uh, Chris, the one thing that I'm always interested in, of course, is uh, players tend to idolise the best that are going around. Korean-wise, Byung-ho Park was one who moved on to the Twins this year. Dae-ho Lee has moved on to the Mariners as well. Do you see these young futures guys in the minors? Do they look up to guys like them who have gone on to MLB baseball and made it a success? Some do and some don't. Um, You know, like some like the, the Major League Baseball influence, some like the Japanese Baseball influence. So there's kind of a mixed, um, a mixed bag with what, with what's out there, you know, in the way that they get influenced. Like some guys are, like, are happy to to watch the, only the Korean guys and emulate them and do everything that they do. I mean, the guys that you spoke about, you know, especially like, um, Kung Jong Ho from Pittsburgh, Park Byung Ho from Minnesota, you know, those guys were big, they were strong, and they were powerful. You know, which is not something you see a lot of here in Korea, and they worked hard and they. I mean, their dream was to go to MLB, Um, but not everybody has those dreams or those realizations that they can, you know, achieve that. A lot of them are happy to play in their own country and succeed in their own country and and do it here and be comfortable and happy. So, I mean, you have to respect both both ways of it. Um, But, you know, for myself, like coming from a country that doesn't play baseball, my dream was always to be in the MLB. So it's just a very different um, scope of things in the way that that happens. Chris, uh, appreciate your time coming on today. We're going to have to wrap it up there, but uh, we're slowly but surely getting through all of the guys that have represented Australia at the major league level. The one we are having difficulty with, I hope you can help us out, is Joe Quinn. 
I don't looking for his <laughs> looking for his phone number, mate. I can't seem to find it anywhere. But um, yeah, it might be a bit difficult to get a, get in contact with. Maybe if you go through Kerry Packer, he might be able to help you. <laughs> yeah, I've got his number, so I'll give him a call. Try him out. Yeah, and give I, him a buzz and see if he can hook you up. Yeah. And I'd just like to say, Chris, before you go, Kamsamnida uh, and Anyohi Kasiyo. Hang on, has he just sworn on air, Chris? We might need to edit that bit out. Is that okay to go to air? my interpreting. Yeah, that's that's okay to go to air. Okay, okay. Leave that in, Clubby. Don't don't touch that. Leave that in. Uh, Chris, I really appreciate it. Great to see you haven't lost your Aussie sense of humour. Stick with it, mate. Do not lose that, whatever you do. Um, But really appreciate you coming on the show today, mate. Thanks very much. Great chat there with the 21st Australian to make it to the Major League level, Chris Oxpring, currently plying his trade over in Korea. But that's all we've got time for today, guys. We appreciate the end of the show is nigh. Remember to get your votes in for the All-Star Game. Voting ends uh, June 30, so get your votes in the All-Star Game coming up. JC, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And Aaron, Great to be here. Aaron, thanks very much for your time today and for the work that you put in over the last month or six weeks. Yeah, congratulations, young man. You've uh, you've had a good stay. Yeah, Come thank you guys so much for giving me some airtime, letting me talk, and let me voice my opinion on important matters like <laughs> the Toronto the Blue Jays. And the desk as well. There's a lot of thumping going on. But no, mate, really appreciate the uh, work that you put in to help us here on SEN Baseball. But that's all we've got time Great work. for today. So uh, thanks to Dan Hayes, Chris Oxpring, and of course Lachlan Dale, CEO of Baseball WA. Great to have them on the show. That's all we have time for today. You're listening to SEN Baseball. Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America.